Jesus said, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Too many believe that, in essence, the motivation for giving was give to get. But that's not what Jesus meant, not at all. Having a generous heart and being generous givers is not a personal investment scheme. It's a revelation of the character of God who loves to give. It's a demonstration of the power of the gospel which turns selfish hoarders into cheerful givers. It's an artesian spring of grace in a city square, overflowing for the benefit of others. We will never regret being generous with our time, talent, and treasure. We're not owners, we are stewards. When we give anything, we are just sharing what God has entrusted to us. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dennis Weeb, and I'm an elder here at Cross Church. Uh, Pastor Allen is still away. He's on vacation, a much-needed vacation. He's, uh, I think this is his first vacation since way before COVID happened, so more than two years. And, you know, he's got a heavy load here, and I'm happy that he's be able to get away and be able to pass the torch over to a couple of other people to speak. So this week is my turn. And uh, we are continuing on with the series on stewardship. Um, Pastor Allen kicked it off two weeks ago, and he was uh, talking about the parable of the talents. And he was really establishing the, the, the foundation of our tagline that we have here, that it's not our treasure to bury. And he went through that, and he really did lay a good foundation. Then last week, uh, Pastor Barry spoke, and uh, he was able to uh, talk about time. And again, how our time is not our own. So this week, it falls to a difficult topic for many people. And we're talking about your finances, your money. And uh, I'm going to be discussing regarding the stewardship of what God has given us. So... Before I really get into that, I think we need to establish um, some, some good context or, or premise of, of what our finances really are. So let's, let's take a look at uh, a scripture here. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. I think that's pretty clear. It really does establish what God's perspective is. See, we often will have our own opinions, our own ideas, but if they don't match up with Scripture, I think we need to really consider where we are, and we need to look at who we are and what we're doing with what God has given us. This is pretty clear that we need to make sure that we are establishing our household, our, our habits, our conduct in accordance with what God has established. So I'm going to talk to you about a number of very hard topics today. And sometimes if it comes from the wrong person, it can be difficult. So I'm going to establish who I was and who I am today in Christ. So I'm going to take a step back and I've got a, a pretty ugly list. Uh, rebellious greedy, selfish, vindictive. This is really who I was prior to becoming a Christian. I believed everything that I had was mine and everything that, that uh, was around me, it was mine. My money was mine and I had no concept of what God's perspective on it was. So I needed to really come a long way to learn. Now, you might have a similar list to mine. You might have a few other items on your list. Maybe it's not so much um, agreed. Maybe it's some other items. But each of us can probably resonate to some degree with some of these items on the list. And, and believe me, you know, now that I'm a Christian, it's not like these items have completely disappeared. 
they are still there. They're, they're, they're lurking in the background, and I, I do need to fight against these on an ongoing basis. So um, I just wanted to make sure that everybody's on the same page, that I'm not the perfect person, and, and I had struggles regarding this to begin with, and, and we need to understand that, that not everybody that you see in church is absolutely perfect in their giving and the topic that we're going to discuss today. So let's take a look at the, the verse that Pastor Allen had given me, and you'll recognize the second half of it as being habit number seven. But let's, let's put it all in context, because I think it's really important to understand what the whole picture is. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Then we get to the more familiar part, give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together, make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This is God's promise, but I think we need to take a look at the highlighted words there. Judge, condemn, forgive, then give. And I, and I think we, we often have this idea that well, it's just about giving. We, we give and then God will bless us. And that's just the way it works. But I think if we put this truly in context, this, these two verses are really about obedience. And, and I think we need to understand the first component there, judge. I think a lot of us have this idea, hey, don't judge me, don't judge me. And really what this is saying is, if I have an issue with something, don't be judging somebody else about that same issue. Don't be hypocritical. Address your own problem first. Then you can go to them and, and raise that issue. And, and then you probably even have a testimony towards it to say, look, this was my issue. I can see you're struggling with the same thing. But this is how I've progressed through it. And people are actually might even listen to you in that case. So I think we need to understand what that's really saying. Condemnation or condemning others goes a step further. That's getting really serious. And then the ability to forgive. Christ forgave us. That long, ugly list that I gave you, God forgave me of that entire list. And I need to be able to forgive others. I've been forgiven much, so I need to be able to forgive others. So we need to look at that and be able to understand that this is really about being obedient. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Make sure you forgive. And then also give. Then we can have a, an understanding of the blessing of God. But if we want to do it the, our own way and ignore the first three completely and just jump straight to give, how can you actually expect God to deliver on the second portion here, the, the blessing, if there's no sense of obedience. It's like the child who does part of a task that he's been given. Hey, brush your teeth every night. Well, I made the toothbrush wet. Should I, should I get my treat? You can't do that. You need to be able to do the entire thing to be able to get what God is actually putting out there as his promise. It really is a perspective of obedience, and we need to put that in the right perspective to be able to really apply this to our lives. So this isn't just something, that ugly list that I gave, it's not just something that applies to me. I've made some major changes, and I'm going to give a big chunk of my testimony this morning so that people can understand where I was and how I got to where I am today and the, the struggles and things that I faced. But this is a problem for everybody. This isn't just a Dennis Weeb problem. This is a problem for everybody. So let's dive deeper into what this giving portion actually looks like. First off, what is God's expectation on us? We 
don't really want expectations on us. We'd rather just kind of do things our own way. And I think that's why this particular topic is so important because there are so many different ideas and opinions of what giving really is. But unless we're looking at it God's way, it doesn't matter. Because I'll tell you this, God is not at all interested in Dennis Weeb's opinion, and quite frankly, he's not interested in your opinion either. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, we're wrong, not God. And we need to understand that. So let's take a look at this. This is a, a, fam a familiar verse that I believe Pastor Allen even touched on in, uh, two weeks ago. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. But again, just like the other verse, let's put it in context. So the second part of this, which is actually verse 47, which happens just before, and the first half of verse 48, really goes through the consequences of not obeying God. And it says, and a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. So if you know what God has expectations on you, there is consequences, and more severe consequences than the one who doesn't know. Then it loops back to the part that we know who's been given much, has been entrusted with much, has greater expectations. So now, let's understand who we are. We live in Canada. Canada is one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and I, and I, I really wanted to be able to level set as to who we really are, because I, I know when I went to Africa, I went to Uganda specifically for my very first missions trip to Africa. And I, that was my first time being confronted with real third world poverty, real poverty. And it was such an incredible eye-opener for me because I had the perspective that, well, I'm not wealthy because I am not one of the pro athletes, I'm not a Hollywood person, I'm not one of the big business people, I'm just a, a guy working a job here in Canada and I don't have a ton of stuff. And, and then I went to Uganda and my eyes were really open because now I was confronted with what poverty or lack of wealth really looks like. And it's carried on with me into Burundi, which is even a greater level of poverty, always top five, usually number one poorest country in the world. And, and we don't really have that perspective because we, we think in Canada that we're, there, there's many poor people. Well, let's, let's, look, let's look at that. Because I actually have a fair bit of experience. I've been a landlord for 17 years and have had many tenants that are on income assistance. So let's take a look at that. I went to the Manitoba government website. If you are a single mom with one child on income assistance, did you know that you actually earn $24,000 a year from the government, both provincially and federally? child tax benefit, and through various benefits that you receive. And you live in Canada, so that means you get medical care, you get education, you can, there's a massive social safety net in Canada. You can go to all kinds of different things. You can get food bank stuff and all different kinds of programs to help you with whatever happens to be going on in your life. Now let's, let's contrast that to Burundi. Uh, people survive on about a dollar a day. They very likely, at most, will eat once a day, usually only once every two days. I have yet to see a gaming system in anybody's place where they're staying. Of the staff in Village of Hope, the only one who has a TV in his house is Delson. The others don't. Why? It's too expensive. There's no hope, no dream of ever owning a car for most people there. And we here think we're so poor. Now, 
let's put that income assistance person in context of the entire world. Where does that income actually put them? It actually puts them in the top 25% income earners in the world. Try to wrap your head around that. What income assistance person do you know that comes out and says, I'm a wealthy person? And the fact is, we are. They are. And I've had many, many, many different tenants over the years of which only one has actually gotten off of the system and moved forward with, with their life. And, it, and it's just this horrible trap that just keeps them there. And, and they, they think this poverty mentality that they just don't have anything. And yet, we do. We don't struggle for needs in Canada. We struggle for wants. Because I have yet to be in any of my apartments that I have that are tenanted, that there's no TV, no gaming system, all the little things that we think are necessities that are just plain flat out not necessities. And yet, we will be very quick to say, oh, no, no, I can't afford to give. And, and it's just really, truly a wrong perspective. Okay, so, so far we've established that everything in the world, and, and us included, is God's. And we are actually wealthy people. No matter who you are in Canada, you are wealthy. Okay, I think we've clearly established that. Now, let's take a look at, wow, Dennis, really? Are we thieves? Well, what's the Bible say about it? Um, let's go to the Old Testament for this. Malachi 3.8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. This is God speaking to us. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. Pretty strong words. We often will look at the next scripture, which is Malachi 3.10. And I remember as a kid, this being on the offering envelope uh, in the church that I attended. And it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So that there will be enough food in my temple, if you do, says the Lord of, hev of the heavens of armies, of the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only time God's actually testing us and saying, "Come on, do this and see if it won't happen." Now I want to. Again, put this in context for you. Because we often look at this and go, oh, well, you know, whatever, it's Old Testament. And, and we don't really want to really consider our actions and how does God look at our actions. Well, he's calling us cheaters. If we're not tithing and bringing offerings to the church, we are cheaters. So, who knows this guy? Bernie Madoff. He's rather infamous. He's from the United States, or was. He's dead now. Died last year. Bernie Madoff ran, to date, the world's largest Ponzi scheme, which is basically he defrauded people of a truckload of money. 64 billion dollars was what he extracted from uh, the population, not just in the United States, but it was pretty much a worldwide scam. And he, he was convicted. He did jail time. And, you know, we, we don't really look at this guy as somebody that's like, wow, like this, this is not a good man. He cheated. He lied. He stole people's money, which today the crime that he was convicted of is fraud. How are we different from Bernie Madoff? I always think it's kind of a joke, his last name Madoff, because he made off with $64 billion. How are we different than this guy? And you're like, wow, Dennis, now you're calling us a criminal. But aren't we? 
Let's go back to Malachi 3.8. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Cheating people out of money is known as the crime of fraud. That's what it is. I'm being very blunt about this, but this is the truth of how God looks at this. He has presented the scripture to us. If we truly believe that the Bible is true, this is what God's saying. And I think we really need to take a look at ourselves and what our actions are. Because it's easy to blow by it, and now the light is getting shone on our actions for real. So we know everything in the world is God's. And we know, we know that God's expectations on us is that we need to be givers. And now we know if we're not givers, we're actually criminals in God's eyes. I know, it's such a positive message. But it's a necessary message. So this is like the late night infomercial, but wait, there's more. There's more. And, and so we, we'll now get into, are we giving our best? Because it doesn't just like, well, here's five bucks, here's 10 bucks. I just happen to have some money in my pocket, so I'll, I'll throw that into the plate. That's not how it works. It really is not how it works. So again, what's God's perspective? Well, let's take a look. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part. Now, I added in first fruits because that's actually what's used in other versions, meaning that before you do anything else, the first fruits. So with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats with, will overflow with good wine. So there, there's a consistency here. Give and God will provide. This is the consistent theme, whether it was in... Um, this, sorry, this verse, uh, also in Malachi, it's talking about the same thing. There is, there is a, a requirement of obedience, then it's followed with a, uh, a blessing. Now, I know I've heard, I've heard a lot of different perspectives. They're like, oh, well, you know, that's Old Testament. Uh, that, those, the, the laws of the Old Testament, well, you know, we're not bound by those today. And... Quite frankly, Jesus, nor any of the writers in the New Testament, repealed the laws of tithing. They're silent on it. However, they do give some language, not necessarily in the terms of tithe, but another perspective. So I, I, was, I was doing a little studying, and John MacArthur, he's a well-respected theologian out of the uh, United States, and he actually went through and looked at the Old Testament, because we always go a tithe, 10%. That's it, it's 10%. And we kind of get legalistic about that. But John MacArthur is saying, if you actually take all of the law in the Old Testament and the various festivals and what they needed to do for bringing sacrifices and so on, it actually equates to somewhere around 23 or 25%. So stop fussing with 10 or less. Because Old Testament, if you really want to, to the letter of the law, follow that, it's much greater than 10. Okay, but hang on here. It doesn't talk about 10% or tithing in the, in the New Testament, but it does talk about what the early church was doing and what the expectations were. They really looked after each other. They brought their best into the church. So we'll give me, I'll give you some examples. The early church, they sold whole pieces of land and brought the entire amount to the church. Has anybody here ever done that? And I think the answer is probably no. Again, that is not 10%. That's bringing a huge chunk. Land is expensive. 
And it is a huge commitment to be doing that. Pastor Allen talked about the widow's mite two weeks ago. Why was that such a big deal? And he said that that lady gave more than the others who brought bags of money. And the reality is that woman brought everything she had. She had a little coin that really had no value whatsoever. And she brought it all and put it all on the plate. So how does that fit with 10%? Jesus approaches or is approached by the rich man. His issue was he was very proud of his money. And what did Jesus tell the rich man? Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Where does 10% fit with that one? Again, it doesn't. So we often want to put our own version of things. So if you just want to be as Taryn, ingrained in my mind, the tipper, if you want to give five bucks here, 10 bucks there, you're missing the point. You need to be really thoughtful about what you're doing and plan and prepare. The first fruits, not after the government took their taxes, not after you've paid your cell phone bill and you've done all the other bits and pieces and gone and seen a couple of movies and then like, oh, I got five bucks left. This is the complete reverse of that. And you need to put that deep into your mind that this is the first fruits. Remember, who owns it? God owns it. Everything. You don't have five bucks to your name. It's all in God's name. And if you can't be a good steward of that and follow the scripture that God's laid out for us, you're going to have to stand before God and give an account of that someday. And that's not going to be a fun thing. So a friend of mine, Vladimir, would always point to this, uh, this joke, but it's very true, uh, that this pastor he had heard say, and he said, the most sensitive nerve in the body is the one attached to your wallet. And it's a joke, but it's not a joke, because it is absolutely true. People, they get really uptight when you start to talk about money, because in their mind, it's all mine. And I'm hoarding mine because I'm going to go buy a car. Or I'm going to go, I'm saving up to buy a house. Or I need, the, I need my, that, was it, iPhone 13 because that's the latest, greatest. I need the latest gaming system. And all these things are a high priority. I, I remember going to Uganda and I was, I was approaching people that I worked with at IBM. How all, like relatively high income earners. And this one guy, he goes, yeah, here's five bucks. And I'm like, okay, five bucks, whoop de doo I didn't say that, I was thinking it. And in his next breath, he's talking about this massive flat screen TV that he bought. And I'm like, man, yeah, it's all perspective, right? If we change our perspective to the way God wants us to think that it's all his anyway, I think it becomes much easier to become a giver because it's not yours anyway. You're just a steward of that. So we need to really consider our actions and how we are going to be approaching this. Because, you know, there are so many examples. Uh, also in, I believe it's in Corinthians, Paul talks about, he's, he's, he's kind of bragging on this church that was extremely poor. And he's telling the Corinthian church, it's like, hey guys, get ready. I'm going to be coming to collect your tithe, and by the way, I was just at this other church that is so incredibly poor, and they gave out of their poverty to be able to go do God's work. So we need to really think about where we are, because we've established everybody's wealthy in Canada. You didn't choose to be born here, but God chose to put you here, and you're here for a reason, and we need to look at the, the examples that I've given You've been entrusted with much. What are you doing with it? Are you burying it? Or are you actually using it to further God's kingdom? Because it's not yours. I'm going to get into some very personal stuff. And I'm going to share quite a bit of my testimony. 
Some of you may know some of this. Some of you may have no clue. And I just want to give you a perspective of where I was and what God's taken me through to be able to really lay out this. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> Investing in your future. Point number four. Are we looking at the future in the way that we should be looking at it? Are we actually looking at what we've been entrusted with and storing it up in heaven? Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That's Matthew 20 and 21. Matthew 6, 20 and 21. We need to realize this is our future. We in Canada, we, we, we invest for our pension, we invest for our future when we're going to retire, but we often will just completely forget about looking at this, which is look at what you need to put your money into. Because scripturally, we need to look at the church and how we need to invest in the church. And that is really, truly investing in your future. So there, there's this guy in, in Texas. Uh, his name is Joel Osteen. He has this monstrous church. And he wrote a book. And that book is called Your Best Life Now. And it really is all about just self-help and, you know, give and you'll get. Kind of like what the, the, the original trailer screen that, that uh, we showed up front. This is not the perspective of God. It's not a thing of give to get. It's give to give back to God out of obedience to further his kingdom. And storing up treasure in heaven, or you can have a guy like Bernie Madoff come along and just rob you blind. You really have no idea what's going to happen in your life. And you need to be obedient with what God has given you and be able to invest it in your future. Because we, we just, we struggle. We struggle with this. We, we want to be able to have control of everything. And we don't want to realize that there is something beyond this life. We will stand before God and give an account. And we need to be really focused on that. And this is what tithing really is all about. One of the earlier scriptures talked about tithes and offerings. This is where we start to look at sponsoring a kid, coming to the missions banquet, doing things that are over and above. In December, we did the hampers for the north. We did the Samaritan's purse. All of those are to be over and above what you're giving to God as a tithe. Those are offerings. And we often will, okay, well, I'll give to that, but I'll take it out of my tithe so that you're basically robbing from Peter to pay Paul. And it doesn't make any sense for what you're doing. You need to be able to take what God has given you, organize your affairs to be able to give that tithe to store up treasures in heaven. Because it's about furthering the kingdom. It's not about you being wealthy in this world in any way, shape, or form. Anything that I have, it's God's. And in everything that you have, you should have the attitude that it's God's because that's what it is. And we need to be able to store up our treasures in heaven. And it's very clear that moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Make sure Bernie Madoff's not a part of your life. And the way to do it, store it up in heaven. So now let's get to my testimony. So it's been, a, it's been an interesting ride uh, in my family's life for the last, I'm going to say the last eight years. I made a decision a while back. I was already doing real estate investing, and I had a couple of properties that I rent out. And I'd met a couple of guys and decided to take these guys on as business partners. And the one guy brought an idea of, of uh, doing buying a couple of businesses. They were basically trailer parks in Texas. 
but specifically they serviced oil workers. And this was around 2014, and then that, at that time, it was 2013 when we were planning, 2014 we actually purchased them. So these trailer parks, there was 92 spots where people could come and rent a trailer, and it was specific to servicing oil workers in that, in that area. Texas, of course, being Lake Alberta, lots of oil, and there was a lot of exploration happening. At that time, oil was $120 a barrel, which was a world high. Things were booming. And we bought these parks, and for the first four months, it was amazing. We were generating 20,000 US dollars a month just in collecting the rents and then obviously paying off some bills and, and so on. And it was going great. Things we didn't consider. Oil is very political. I think it's kind of something that in particular now very much out of vogue. You know, we're going for green solutions. It's very, very political. And there were some decisions that were made in between countries in the world that caused oil to absolutely plummet. It went from $120 a barrel of oil down to $37 a barrel. So I went from 100% occupancy to four or five months later, 100% vacancy, which basically means no money, nothing coming in. But there's still bills. So let me, let me explain. Oh, yeah, they were $700,000 to buy these 92 spots, these trailer parks. $700,000. I borrowed all of it at 10%. I can't get a mortgage in the U.S. I have no standing in the U.S. So I leveraged properties that I had, talked to people that I knew, and I raised $700,000, and we bought them. And after four or five months, had no ability to pay that money back. Talk about crashing and burning. All the work that I had done here, because remember, it was all mine, right? All the work that I had done here crashed and burned in a matter of just a couple of months. And it was... It, it, was, it was an incredibly stressful time. Now, to make matters worse, at the same time, Sally, my wife, got very sick. Very sick. And she actually was off work for almost two and a half years. She couldn't walk. She couldn't use her hands. She had some weird nerve damage thing that really has never truly been diagnosed and still suffers with it, but is functional now. But for two and a half years, she was not able to work. So now I've got this massive debt, and my income is way down here. In 2015, I believe the term is, I was insolvent. I should have declared bankruptcy by Canadian standards to reset, start over. However, that would have hurt everybody who had lent me money. That would have all been wiped out, and I wouldn't have, if I had done that, I wouldn't have been obligated to pay that back, but... I just couldn't, in good conscience, go through that process. I remember constantly praying, God, do not let me be put to shame. I, I, I was praying that I wouldn't be useless. It, it, it's like I, I wasn't sleeping. I was struggling just with basic things to be able to function in, in you know, regular life. Because this was just front and center in my mind all the time. So I went from doing quite well with real estate investing to absolutely crashing and burning, where I, my, my net worth was negative. I, I, I owed way more money than what I had assets. And I chose that I was not going to go down the path of bankruptcy, and I discussed with the various people that had lent me money, and some of them were patient, some of them were very gracious, some of them not so much. It is what it is. But... I just could not see a way out of it. But God had a plan. Because one of the things that I did was I did show a level of, of obedience. But why did, why did I go through this in the first place? Believe me, 
the level of judgment that was going on in, in my world was pretty big. The pointing out issues with other people when I had the same issues myself, yeah. That's what we talked about right at the very beginning, judging. Forgiveness. So, of course, it wasn't my fault with this Texas stuff. It was all the fault of the other two partners. And yet nobody held a gun to my head to sign and, and, and to take that level of commitment on. That was entirely on me. And I needed to work through forgiveness. I needed to work through lack of judging. Condemnation wasn't so much an issue for me. The one thing that I was consistent with through that entire time was giving. And when I worked out the judging and the forgiveness issues, it's amazing how God started to bring solutions. Now, I'm a real estate agent. I'm a real estate investor. I fully understand how transactions work. And I, I had a couple of properties that I purchased during this absolutely decimated time in my life that I truly had no business purchasing. It shouldn't have worked the way it did. Sally being very sick and not able to work, banks don't give mortgages to people that are on disability. They don't, but they did. We were able to buy a property in Sally's name using her previous income that the bank said, yeah, we're good. And that building, I had shown it to about a dozen people. Cast the vision. This is what it could be. This is how you can do it. And you can do this and it can be quite profitable. Either they didn't believe me or they just weren't ready for it. It was too much work. Or it was their first property and they just couldn't kind of catch the vision of it. But for whatever reason, none of those people wanted to buy it. But I still believed what I was telling people. God created a way for us to buy it that to this day does not make sense logically that the bank gave me money to buy that. There was another property that I had as a listing and it was a similar circumstance. I showed it to a bunch of people. They couldn't catch the vision and the listing actually expired, which means like, that's not good. I don't get paid a commission then. And again, I had cast the vision and people couldn't see it. And the same, a similar thing happened. I, I was able to find somebody who was lending me the entire down payment and all the closing costs. And that building today is like all that, the, the money that was lent to me is paid off. I just have a mortgage on it and it runs. And, and it, these things are... These are the projects that I present to people that come to me and say, hey, man, you're an investor. Can you help us, you know, to coach us a little bit and you know, we'll buy properties through you? And I, and I show them these two examples and they go, wow, man, can you find me a property like that? And yet it was presented to a ton of people and they all said no. Am I that good? No. God is. And that, that's all I have to look at. I am, I am not special. I am not super talented. I'm not a super, super wealthy guy, especially when you're you know, on the verge of bankruptcy. And God created a way for these two properties, which I then refinanced in 2020. And I call 2020 my year of freedom because I had, we had eliminated one of the three partners and it was, the rest of the debt was just taken on. So my portion was 350000 Remember, it was clicking up at 10% annually. So now my portion was 500000 And I had done some other things with one of, this, one of those partners locally here. And my actual total of debt from 2014 and 15 was $700,000. And in a matter of, Five years from 2015 to 2020, God brought project after project, and I was able to pay back $500,000. And all of the other remaining stuff is, is completely under control, 
monthly payments being made and they are all coming down. There is no more debt that's just accumulating with interest clicking with no payments and no plan. This is only God's provision. This is exactly what we're looking at when we look at this. Clean up your issues. Make sure you're giving. Then you can have some expectations. But I still don't have expectations of being wealthy. It's not even on my radar screen. Really, what I'm looking at is to be able to give away as much as I possibly can. My constant daily prayer is God bless me to bless others. And it just, the, the last year and a half, from mid-2020 to today, I can't even wrap my head around the amount of money that God has poured into my business to be able to give it away again. And I, I just, I, I made a commitment. 2022, I'm ratcheting up the amount that I'm giving. Because I have to. This is, it's not mine. And if I, if I, I have plenty enough to live on, and I need to just continue to ratchet it up and give more and more away. You cannot outgive God. You can't. It's all his. So if you, if you just have a perspective that this is mine and I can't give it away because I got this bill to pay, well, I went from a perspective of I never had enough money to pay. Every month it was like, do I have enough to make my mortgage payment? We cleaned house. Cable got wiped out completely. Our cell plans got squeezed as much as we possibly could. Um, I, I remember telling my mom fairly recently and saying, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any new clothes for several years because I couldn't afford to buy them. She goes, whoa, I didn't realize that. But that's where I was. Like Literally, every month, we were just watching to see, and God's provision was there. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was huge, but it was enough every month to get by until that time when I had cleaned up my issues and the floodgates, the floodgates opened up. And, and it, it's, it's an incredible experience to be able to have a front row seat to what God's doing. It's not an easy path, believe me. Because you're going to get challenges constantly. You, you, you know, bills are going to come up. When you start being obedient and doing this, don't think that Satan's happy about it. And you're going to face all kinds of challenges that are going to try to tear you down and discourage you from doing this. But God's got a bigger plan. And you need to understand that it's not what you can see because none of the math made any sense when I was going through my crisis time, and yet God made a way. And there's nothing that is special about me that God made that happen. It is purely obedience. I know a number of the topics that I've talked about today might be very offensive to people. But I think if you're really, truly honest with yourself, and honest about what you've been entrusted with, and you establish your priorities correctly, you will see you can do this. If you want to talk with me, I'm happy to sit down with whomever and share even more of this story, because this is really just a tip of the iceberg. And, and to be able to see what, what God has done just truly, truly amazing. It's mind-blowing to me. And, and this is what is possible when you're truly obedient to God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. Thank you so much for your incredible blessings on us. Lord, I just pray that, that this message of stewardship of our money, that we would understand it's not our money, it's yours. And that we would be obedient with what you've given us. So that we can truly experience your promises. But Lord, it's not about us. It's not about us getting wealthy. It's not about giving to get. It's about 
being obedient and, and giving money into your kingdom because it's yours and this is what you've requested of us. Lord, may we do that and be obedient with it and change our direction, change our heart to be in line with what you have established. Father, just thank you so much that you've chosen us, you've forgiven us. May we do the same to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an amazing rest of your day.